good afternoon. You're listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of the Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us today as he opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. Please turn tonight in your copies of the Scriptures to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. We haven't left off our studies of the Songs of Degrees, but I have said in, in recent times that there is a helpful diversion in light of the unity psalm, Psalm 133. Uh, there is a helpful diversion, I believe, for God's people to, to turn aside and to reflect upon the subject of uh, Christian unity. It's mentioned, of course, uh, in a great number of the epistles, uh, but perhaps these words in Philippians chapter 2 uh, just summarize in, in a very helpful sense uh, the truth of, of Christian unity. So Philippians chapter 2, we'll read from the verse number 1. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also in the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven, and things in earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Uh, unity is, is such a vital thing for the progress of the local church. When it is enjoyed, it is something to rejoice in and something to seek to preserve uh, with all of our souls. In our psalm, the psalmist, back in Psalm 133, he commended unity. And we read the words, Psalm 133, verse 1, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. He commends unity. It's a, it's a good thing, morally good, beneficial to the hearts of men, pleasant to behold. It's a wonderful thing when we see brethren dwelling together in unity. The psalmist is teaching New Testament doctrine in Old Testament poetry. When we come to the New Testament, we see that unity comes down to the people from the head that is Christ. And as the oil descends from Aaron's beards down the body, uh, so true unity descends by the Spirit of God. As the people are anointed with the Spirit that anoints Christ the head. And thus the unity of the company is a mark of God's favor. It's like the Jew. It marks God's favor and brings, brings blessing to others. Surely if it's good and pleasant... For brethren to dwell together in unity, then it ought to be a great concern in our souls that we dwell together in unity. The unity of brethren in Psalm 133 ultimately must point to the family of God. Christ himself said that his coming would lead to division in natural families. 
It is a blessed thing to see unity within the context of the natural family. But Christ said, I am come to set a man that variants against his father and his daughter against her mother and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a man's foes shall be they of his own household. Matthew chapter 10. And thus, in the very coming of the gospel into the world in the person of Christ, there was a beginning of disunity amongst natural families. Christ said elsewhere in Matthew 12, Whoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same is my brother and sister and mother. And thus within our families there are those who are not doing the will of the Father, and therefore they are not Christ's brothers, and in a real sense they are not our brothers. They may be brothers by nature, but they are not brothers in spirit. We are adopted into the family of God. Christ is our elder brother. And thus, if we are rightly to apply Psalm 133, it must be in the setting of the local church. Yes, we know it has an eternal setting in terms of the, the blessing of the eternal family of God in glory forevermore. But at this time, in this context, we surely must apply it in the context of our fellowship as a local church. And thus we turn in our studies to Philippians chapter 2. And for there we, we see that the subject of unity is, is very plain to see. And look at verse number 27 again of chapter 1, where Paul says that they would stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Three separate terms. One spirit, one mind, together. Paul is making a very simple point, that if you are going to be effective as a local church in Philippi, you must make sure you're doing it together. It's not a group of individuals working here and working there. There is a collective company who are striving together for the, the good of the gospel. You see that also in chapter 2, in verse, in verse 14, where Paul says, Do all things without murmurings, and then see the word, and disputings. And as he continues, he then says in verse 16, holding forth the word of life that I may rejoice in the day of Christ. Their holding forth of the word of life depends upon them doing all things without a spirit of disputing. The church in Philippi had had its troubles regarding unity. Chapter 4, verse 2, Paul beseeches Eudius uh, and Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And there was, at least to some degree, disunity amongst individuals in the church. But whatever that may be, he is certainly showing to us that in Philippi, uh, they were not, were not exempt from troubles with regards to the subject of unity. And thus, verse 2 of chapter 2 is an implied exhortation. He says, fulfill ye my joy. That's the command. And then in that command it says, that ye be like-minded. And the words being like-minded, they're not in the, in the command form grammatically, but the word fulfilling my joy is, and how is the joy of Paul fulfilled? It is when they are like-minded. It has the force of a command. Paul, he understands that it is right and proper to exhort God's people to unity. Just in passing, we should not presume that unity is a natural thing. It doesn't simply come back and say, well, you're all Christians. Uh, therefore, this will happen automatically. 
It is something that must be worked upon. It is something that has to be taken seriously. There are things that we should do, and we'll see in future studies, there are things that we must uh, take stock of if we are to enjoy this matter of, of true biblical Christian unity. And thus, if you see from uh, chapter 1, verse 27, and the commands to strive together, and then you see in verse 14 of chapter 2, that they do all things like disputings, it is, I believe, very, very much the case that the section in the middle is dealing with the matter of unity so that they would be effective in their service. Unity is not only to be desired for our joy and peace, Though it is pleasant, but unity is to be desired and preserved for our functioning as a local church. The basis of the command in verse number 2 is given to us in verse number 1. You have four ifs. If there be, if any comfort, if any fellowship, if any boils. And then the first one again there, if there be, therefore, any consolation in Christ. If. If, of course, is a, a conditional word. If something is true, then something else may also be true in consequence of that truth. He's coming at it from the, the condition, but the if therefore has a sense of since. And you could read it that way. Since there be consolation in Christ, since there be comfort of love, since there be fellowship, and since there be boils and mercies, then fulfill ye my joy. That's a sense of the grammar and the words that are being used here in Philippians chapter 2. So therefore, the first thing to note is the foundation of Christian unity. And that is in these terms in verse number 1. In summary, true unity comes from what God has done for each of us in Christ. That's one sentence to explain what is happening here. But true unity comes from what God has done for each of us in Christ Jesus. So note the terms that are used. The first one is this word, consolation. And the word itself may be familiar to you in one of the, uh, the other roots of the, the word that's used here. It is the, uh, the word akin to the word paraclete, used for the comforter. It has the verb form to come alongside. That's the idea that uh, the paraclete is one that comes alongside. It's used as the comforter in John 14 through 16. It is used at times for the word exhortation. So the consolation here can at sometimes mean the word exhortation, but it also speaks of encouragement in the sense of weakness. Turn back to John 14. We'll just see it there. John 14. So we're looking at this word consolation, and as I said to you, it's, uh, it's a similar word. It's connected in root to the word for comforter that's used here in, in John 14, verse 16. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever, even the spirit of truth. And then in verse 18, it says, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. And so it is a promise promise of a comforter coming in times of distress and weakness. And so Christ encourages the disciples at a time when their hearts are troubled that the Spirit will come as a comforter and therefore will not leave them comfortless. And that word actually has a sense of being left as an orphan. An orphan without support, strength. An orphan without help in the world 
And Christ is saying, I won't leave you as that. I'm going to send the paraclete, the comforter. And that's the word that's used here for consolation in, in Philippians chapter 2. Has that sense of, of coming alongside and giving us strength in weakness. Uh, one of the lexicons defines it this way. It speaks of consolation, comfort, solace, that which affords refreshment. God is the God of encouragement. Romans chapter 15, and again you turn back to Romans 15, you'll see the word uh, used here. Romans 15, regarding God, it says, Now the God of patience and consolation. What a title that is. God who is patient and a God of consolation. The God who in his very character is one who, who comes and, and gives refreshment and encouragement in times of weakness and need. Note, that that comfort comes through the Scriptures. The same word is used in verse 4 of Romans 15. That we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. The God of consolation grants us that consolation through the Scriptures. This comfort, this consolation that comes through grace. It's a gospel blessing. It's tied to the gospel that God comes and gives strength to His people. We know our weakness and in our weakness, he strengthens. We are like those in Isaiah 40 who need to renew our strength. And it's God who comes uh, like wings, like the eagle, and he, he comes and renews our strength. He does so, he just noticed in Romans 15 through the use of the Scriptures. Through the Scriptures, he gives us consolation and comfort and encouragement in our times of weakness. He also gives us that encouragement through God's people. And this is where it's significant. Turn to, to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Because here you begin to see why this feature is important in terms of, of unity and of Christian fellowship. He says in verse number 3, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, there's the word again. It is the word consolation here used again. Who comforted us in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God's. There's the word used in repetitive form. And the sense is that God comes as our comforter so that we in turn can come and minister God's grace to others by comforting them with the support and consolation we've enjoyed. I think it's a, a very simple uh, illustration to think about that perhaps there's been some trial in your life and you felt your, your hopelessness and your weakness. And then in the course of your Bible study, you get up some morning and God brings a word and you fall back on your chair and you praise God and you say, thank you for that word of consolation. What a word and season it was to my soul. And God has given you consolation through the scriptures. And then what happens? Maybe perhaps a, a number of months later, somebody comes along to you and they, they say to you, you know, I have this trouble. And you can just pull down from your memory banks that particular verse and you can say, let me give you a word of consolation. See, God is the God of consolation. And we see in this verse in Philippians chapter 2 that this consolation is in Christ. So what happens? It is that when God in his mercy saves us, he comes and he continues to give us consolation and encouragement day by day. And that connects itself to unity. 
Yes, in part because of what I've just said regarding the, 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 the comfort that we can give to others. But also, in the gospel, God understands our weaknesses. And he understands that all of God's people have those weaknesses. And all of God's people need this consolation. This is a consolation that comes in Christ. And so if you're in Christ, you need this consolation. You may be proud and arrogant and not believe it, but you need the encouraging grace of God day by day in the Scriptures, ministered through the Word and ministered by your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And as you need it, they need it. It's a mutual need and a mutual supply. And because that is the case, it then reminds us that I am no better than my brother. I am no stronger than my brother in Christ. I need consolation in Christ. They need consolation. And therefore, in light of that truth, I should practice being like-minded. So there is this word, consolation. And very quickly, there is also this matter of comfort. Now, this word gets uh, somewhat confusing because the word consolation, it, it has a sense of comfort in one way. But the word comfort is paired with it, connected to it, but also has some distinction. They're paired together, actually, in, in 1 Corinthians 14, verse number 3, where he talks about exhortation, that's the word consolation, and also uh, comfort. Uh, the first term, consolation, speaks of encouragement. In the sense of giving strength that we would keep on going. It is in the context of weakness. And thus, the consolation comes as a word of exhortation and encouragement. That's why the word is used for both of those terms. Exhortation, consolation, comfort by encouragement. That's that's the first term. The second term, though, speaks more of calming and consoling. So in our distress, not so much in our weakness, but now in distress, God in his love, comfort of love, comes and he he calms us and consoles us. You see the word used in John chapter 11. In John 11, we know, of course, uh, that Christ says, The disciples, our friend Lazarus, sleepeth, but I go that I may wake him out of sleep. Their friend has died. And you read in John 11, verse 31, The Jews then which were with her in the house and comforted her. They were consoling Martha and Mary. They were bringing that that word of, of seeking to calm and console them. God's love consoles and comforts us in our distress. You think of the experience that the apostle delineates for us in Romans chapter 5. And he talks about the, the various afflictions that God's people will, will know. You have tribulations. And the tribulation works patience and patience, experience and experience hope. And hope make it not a shame because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. God's love comes and consoles us. Reminds, reminds ourselves of the, the truth that as God's people we engage in times of mutual distress. We share our sorrows. And there are times we must weep with those who weep. 
And the sorrows that you may experience, they're not unique to you. Others in the family of God will suffer from similar experiences. And thus again, there is a sense of, of God coming in gospel love and giving us this word of, of consolation and calming as a shared word of comfort. There is then the word fellowship. The word speaks of participating together. The word speaks of togetherness, of close association. It is a fellowship that we have with God. 2 Corinthians 13 speaks of the communion of the Holy Ghost. Are you 1 John? Turn to 1 John 1. And the verse number 3. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And then verse 7. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sins. Fellowship. Fellowship with God. Something that is true for all who have the Spirit. It is fellowship of the Spirit, Philippians 2, verse 1. And thus, as all believers have the Spirit, therefore all believers know this fellowship with God. It's a mutual fellowship from which therefore flows our fellowship with each other. Communion. Fellowship that is a gift of God. He then talks about bowels and mercies. These are two words grouped together, of course. If any, bowels and mercies. One, one if, but these two terms that come together. Bowels, it speaks of that inner affection you might have. It's used, it's actually used that way of, of, of human affection and fondness in the Scriptures. Paul speaks of Onesimus in, in Philemon with that term of, of having that bowels affection towards him. Yet the word, of course, here speaks of God's mercies and compassion toward us. The mercies of God in Romans 12, verse 1. In Christ we receive the affectionate and tender mercies of God. This is incredible. This is part of the how much more of the gospel. Sins forgiven. Legally righteous. But what judge would take a criminal and make them a friend? And that's what's happening here. Bowels and mercies. God in his mercy, he, he comes and he, he showers us with his compassion and his love. We who were his enemies, we who are legally guilty, are brought into fellowship with him. And in light of that, he showers us with his kindness. And the Bible speaks of the gentleness of Christ. He does not quench the smoking flax or crush the bruised reed. All of these things are blessings that we enjoy together. You know, there are various ways in which Paul could have, could have exhorted the people to like-mindedness. He could have described legal guilt. He could have described forgiveness. He could have described even adoption into the family of God. But he chooses these terms... Because I believe these terms indicate our mutual weakness and need. These terms, they show us how dependent we are upon God. They show us that we all have this dependence upon God. They are the foundation whereby he will say later that we must not think of ourselves better than others. That's what he's dealing with here. He's, he's revealing unto us that the gospel is something 
that deals with us beyond all that we deserve. It's the gospel that deals us understanding exactly who we are and what we're like. And that is something that's true for all of God's people. The next time you look down upon a brother or a sister in the church here, and we look down upon them with a condescending glance, or you talk down to them as someone who is inferior to you, I encourage you to read this verse and reflect upon all that you need in the grace of God, and that without consolation or comfort or fellowship or bowels and mercy, you would be an absolute wreck. And so would I. And thus, it is the blessings that we enjoy in Christ, from God, by the Spirit, triune blessings, aren't they? And these triune blessings we enjoy remind us of how utterly hopeless and undone we are without the grace of God. And that is true for us all. And I think that's the reason why this is the foundation upon which he then gives the exhortation. Just in closing today, just note the additional motivation that Paul then gives. He says, fulfill ye my joy. It's just remarkable again. It's something that we would say, well, that doesn't sound right. Complete my happiness. My spiritual happiness. I know the word joy means more than being happy, but it certainly includes that aspect. He says, do not grieve me with your disunity. Complete my joy by being like-minded. Paul's joy is not in personal things, but it's in the spiritual well-being of the church. And disunity in the church produces sadness in the hearts of the people of God. The spiritually-minded weep when there is disunity. The spiritually-minded weep when there are factions and sex within the local church. The spiritually minded, they understand that true joy in the church from the leadership down is enjoyed when there is like-mindedness across the pews. From corner to corner, front to back, side to side, there's that like-mindedness across the entire fellowship. That is what the spiritually minded desire. And when it is not present... There is grief in the heart of the child of God and not contentment. And so Paul, he happily says to them, fulfill you my joy. Now next week in the will of God, we'll come on to think about the essence of this unity. What does it mean to be like-minded? So we'll come to that next week in the will of God and trust in the meantime that these verses will humble us and cause us to reflect again upon the glorious grace of God in the gospel of Christ. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Tuesday evening at 7 p.m. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. 
We preach Christ crucified. 